What is man and what is our purpose? Man is a creature made in the image of God that was designed to glorify God. So how do we glorify God? The creation account shows us how. In this sermon, we will learn how to glorify God by looking at how God created a diverse world. How God pronounced his creation good and how God set his love on his special creation. Now we will read the scripture. Chapter 1, reading in the ESV version of God's holy word. Verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. That's... God's word, let's pray. Father, we do thank you and we give you praise. We ask together as your people. So let us hear your word. Let us be electrified by your word. And let us be motivated to tell somebody about the good news of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Moses wrote these, wrote these first five books as a lesson to the children of Israel so they won't repeat some of the mistakes they made during the Exodus. One of the mistakes they made during the Exodus can be found in the book of Numbers, chapter 14 to 16. In that account, the Hebrew nation blamed Moses for leading them into what they believed was a death trap. They blamed God for appointing Moses and ultimately accusing God for not knowing what he was doing. Because life was tough, they concluded, the children of Israel concluded, that God did not have an ordered plan for their lives and their success. 
we are not too far from those ancient Hebrews, we conclude that since things are tough in our lives right now, God must not have an ordered plan for my good. The book of Romans chapter 8 verse 28 assures us that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. But the saints of old did not have the book of Romans. Actually, they did not have 27 books of the New Testament. Actually, when the Apostle Paul told Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, he was referring to the First Testament, commonly referred to as the Old Testament. So this lesson had to be learned from the Torah, the first five books of the First Testament. God is a God of order and he has a plan, a detailed plan. And he's smart enough and he has the ability to execute that plan. I believe that that lesson can be learned right here in the creation account. We covered verses 1 to 23 in our last two messages. With the help of R. Kent Hughes, we learned that God formed the earth in the first three days. And the second three days describes the filling of the earth. On the first day, God formed the light. And on the fourth day, he filled the earth with light. On day two, God formed the waters. And on day five, he filled the waters. On day three, God caused the ground to appear and covered it with vegetation. And day six, he filled it with land creatures. Does creation appear to be random to you? Is there evidence that the person who created the heavens and the earth was confused or incompetent? Or does it sound like a detailed plan? The children of Israel needed this reminder while they were seemingly wandering in the wilderness. They needed this reminder at the edge of Canaan. And we too, when we are confused or about to step into new adventures, we need to be reminded of that creator, the creator of heaven and earth. And he has a plan. If we're going to trust our lives to anyone, shouldn't it be someone who can birth creation just by speaking? Who but the Lord deserves our praises just by being? He separated sea from land, yet stopped the etched the fingerprints upon a baby's hand. The mighty God who made the gallant sea condescended to be a friend and love someone like you and me. Who in the world is more worthy? In all of heaven and in earth, can we find one who is more worthy? He is the Lord of every road and ocean waves, the, the one who didn't stop at nothing, loving those he came to save. Who is worshipped by a chorus of morning stars and listens to the whispers of all the lonely and longing hearts? Who in the world has a resume like this? Even if you don't speak your worries and anxiety, God knows. He knows your thoughts and the intents of your heart. God can fulfill your longings. You have to find that special someone who knows you like no one else. The God that created the heavens and earth 
can see you. Put your trust in the God who sees. Just like Hagar, who thought she was out of the sight of God, declared that he is the God who sees her with eyes of compassion. Trust your life to the one who has the ability to create the world just by speaking and the loving kindness to deal gently with those who have a tender conscience. Trust your life to the Lord. We find in verses in verse 24, it says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw it was good. God created a diverse world. We should always pay attention to the words and phrases that are repeated in the Bible. In verses 24 and 25, we find this phrase, according to their kind. The King James renders this after his kind. James Montgomery Boyce says about this verse, these verses also teach that creation was according to an orderly unfolding of the mind and purposes of God. God knows what he's doing. Like the psalmist who asks, shall I lift up my eyes unto the hills? From where does my help come from? Surely not the hill and not the pagan idol upon that hill. His help comes from God who made heaven and earth. If God was able to create an orderly world with all of his details and splendor, surely he can help the psalmist with his problems. And if God can sustain the world according to his right hand, he can orchestrate your life and my life for his glory and our good. And on day six, he filled the sea with whales and sharks and crocodiles and tuna, dolphins and other colorful finned creatures. He filled the sky with eagles and ravens and gulls and geese and ducks, woodpeckers, robins and cardinals. He created such variety all for his glory and our enjoyment. Yesterday I was walking and I counted seven different shades of green as I walked among some trees. There are three that had a combination of green and another color and sprinkled throughout all the trees or sprinkled throughout all the green trees was a little bit of burgundy, small burgundy trees, all different sizes. On a short little walk, I noticed the splendor of God's diversified creation. What a boring world it would be if all the trees and every sea animal and every land animal and every blade of grass was the same shape and color. All creatures, great and small, the Lord made them all. What are we to take away from that truth? When was the last time you stopped and walked through a forest to marvel at the variety of shapes and colors? Why won't we listen to the wind whip through the trees during a gentle breeze? We just got back from a road trip, and I was in awe of the prodigious mountains in Pennsylvania. And in other places, we can stand in 70-degree weather and look up 
at snow-capped mountains. Why won't we praise him when we look at the stars and see God's power throughout the universe displayed? We are either too busy or have not been awakened by the Spirit of God to appreciate the Redeemer, the Lord of all creation of water, earth, and sky. If you're here today and you already know the Lord Jesus Christ, then you ought to praise him right now. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Do you have breath this morning? Did God wake you up and started you on your way? Then thank the Lord that he kept these truths from those wise people of the world and revealed them to you and me, the weakness of the world. We must never worship nature, but we worship the creator of the natural and the material universe. Take some time this day. This is the Lord's day. One of the commandments of the Ten Commandments says, honor, uh, observe the Sabbath and think about creation. Deuteronomy says, I think about redemption. But Exodus talks about the creation. You have time today. Some of us don't work today. Take your walk and marvel at God's creation. And remember that God called it good. So praise the Lord and meditate upon his creation. Praise the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise him, for he is our health and salvation. At the end of verse 25, we have, and God saw that it was good. We notice this phrase, and it's also repeated again in verse 9, in verse 12, in verse 18, and in verse 21. God pronounced the moral statement all of his creation is good. You say, how's that a moral statement? Well, you have to, morally, you judge between what's good and what's bad. Or, this presupposes that the things that are good, then there are things also that are evil. On Tuesday, there was another school shooting in the state of Texas. Monique, a mother of one of the students who lost a friend, said, it's hard to explain to your kid that someone he used to play with won't be here anymore. It's hard to explain evil. It's hard for them to understand. It's hard for all of us to understand. But though we cannot explain it, we can recognize it. We live in a world where no one wants to pronounce something evil. If there is good, there must be an evil. What is evil is in another message. We won't focus on that. But we know for sure what is good. What God created, he saw it and said it was good. We should delight in what God created and be thankful for all of what he created. This should lead us to be thankful to him. For it is our duty to glorify God and enjoy him forever. One way we enjoy him is to delight in his creation. Verse 26 reads, man is created Verse 26 reads, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, 
and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27 says, So God created man in his image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Man is created last. Have you noticed? Nothing else was created after man. After everything was completed, land, water, sea animals, and land animals, then God created mankind. What was the significance of being created last? We turn to the Puritan, Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry has a quote in volume eight, volume, eight, volume one, page eight. Matthew Henry says that man was made last of all creatures that it might not be suspected that he had been any way a helper to God in the creation of the world. God asked Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Job 38.4. Bruce Waltke, in his commentary on Genesis, states, the impersonal let there be or seven preceding creative acts replaced by the personal let us. Only in creation of humanity is the divine intent announced beforehand. The formula, and it was so, is replaced by a threefold blessing. In these ways, the narrative places humankind closer to God than the rest of creation. By this statement, we conclude that only mankind has the ability to have communion with God. Herman Bovink, in his Reformed Dogmatic, states, The entire world reveals God's attributes and perfections, and every creature is in its own way the embodiment of God's thought. But only human beings are images of God, head and crown of the whole creation. It appears in the scriptures that the stage was set, almost like a banquet table for man to be a regent, over God's creation. The narrative also points to man being the pinnacle of God's creation. The specialness of man is apparent because the narrative, the narrative changes from the third person to the first person plural. Now there are some modern scholars who believe that God is talking to angels when he says let us make man. But angels were created themselves and have no part in creation of man. And besides, since when does God take counsel from and with his creation? Lastly, angels are not created in the image of God. This phrase has traditionally been understood as a revelation of our triune God. Of course, there are many books written concerning let us make man, but we won't spend too much time in this sermon on the meaning of that. But yet there's another part of this phrase that many books have been written about. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, what is most relevant to us this morning are three definitions. To be made in the image of God is to be spiritual and moral beings. To be made in the image of God is to have the ability to have communion with God. God is a spirit, and they who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. They function, but animals don't have the ability to worship God. Yes, they reflect his glory, but they function by instinct. 
but do not have the ability to reason. Wow. We never catch a squirrel saying, wow. Isn't it amazing how God made me so fast that these humans can't catch me? Or a rat saying, wow. Isn't it amazing how we've took and taken over New York City? There's more of us than them. We don't have that. We never hear that. We, we, we are also moral beings, and we can understand what is good and what is evil. Though we suppress the truth and often, often deny the truth, we still have the ability to see what is good and what is evil. And how do we as believers determine what is good and evil? What God says is good is good. And he has declared all of his creation good. If our main duty is in life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, we have to be on the Lord's side and agree with him. What he says is good. Those in his family should declare it good. Number two, to be made in the image of God is closely tied to the idea of ruling. Humanity and land animals have many things in common. Take a look at the hand of a monkey. Take a look at the face of an orangutan. Very similar. Well, we were all created on the same day. Both are blessed by God and both are given the commandment, be fruitful and multiply. But we are made in the likeness of God. The Bible only describes humans as being made in the likeness of God, never animals. God is the ruler of all creation and he has made us as creatures who resemble him and share in that rule. If that is the case, we must be good stewards of this world. We must be responsible and not destroy nature simply by the sake of destroying it. It does not mean that we can't cut down trees and make houses, but we should seek to cultivate it and elevate it to its fullest potential. If we're going to be co-regents, then we have to care about the land, the universe that God created. <laughs> there is a parallel here as far as we being rulers, co-rulers of creation. The responsibility of men and women toward the creation is parallel to the responsibility of a husband toward his wife in marriage. In each case, the responsibility is based on a God-given dominion. Of marriage, God says in his word, Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. That's Ephesians 5, 25-27. So those of us who are husbands need to spend less time cultivating our gardens, grills, golf clubs, or obsessions, and more time living with our wives in an understanding way, as First Peter says, and cultivating her so we may elevate her to her fullest potential. As husbands, this is our primary ministry. All of us are not husbands, but pray, please, for the husbands in this congregation because marriage done the biblical way is a picture of Christ in the church. 
When we husbands don't do this, it weakens our witness and mars the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fellow husbands, we will stand before the Lord one day and give an account to God for what we've done in the body, particularly with our wives. If we are going to glorify God as husbands, this is what we must do. So saints, please be prayerful that we as husbands can be faithful. But for the rest of us, all of us, we need to be better stewards of God's creation. In verse 27, the Bible says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Though it is poetic in its rendering, it seems obvious. Why should Moses state the obvious? The animals are not, are, are not described as being male and female, even though they are. Moses states this for emphasis. Being male and female is fundamental to our, our identity as humans. As Alistair Payne, uh, it took me a while to get that name because it sounds like Alistair, but it's Alistair Payne says, our gender is right at the root of our being. If our gender is at the root of our being, then we must pronounce what God pronounced. When God created man in his image and created them male and female, he declared it good. Now, it doesn't take a scientist to conclude that if God declared it good, anything contrary to this is the pronouncement of bad or evil. The opposite of good is either evil or bad. God saw everything he made, and it was very good. So to twist God's pronouncements, add or take away, is very bad or very evil. I'm not living under a rock, and neither are you. I am well aware of our nation has, and our nation has declared war on God's pronouncement. Though God has declared two human beings declared humans as two human beings, male and female, there are certain communities who blatantly reject that truth. According to the Teen Talk website on gender identity, this is their definition, gender identity is how a person feels and who they know themselves to be when it comes to their gender. There are more than two genders, even though in our society, genders are most recognized are male and female. At least they got that part. They understand that. On the website, I then scrolled down and counted 10 genders. There are more than two genders, quote unquote. It's not an attack on believers. It's not an attack on us. It's an attack on God. God has declared two genders very good. So the statement, there are more than two genders, is either very bad or very evil. Brian, where are you getting the very from? At the end of verse 31, God created everything else and called it good. But at the end, he says, everything I created is very good, giving it a qualifier. But I'm not here to avenge the evildoer. I didn't come here to charge you to avenge the evildoer also. 
For the Bible says in Romans 12, 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. I am concerned not with the evildoers. I'm concerned with us who name the name of Christ. Those of us who declare without apology that we are on the Lord's side. Christians, born-again believers, the saints, are you believing the word of God? Are you standing firm on the truth in Genesis? If you're going to glorify God, we must understand that God determines how he gets the glory. God gets the glory from two genders. Anything less than that or more than that clouds the glory of God like a fog on a morning commute. That fog makes it difficult to see. Why would any believer who has been redeemed by the precious life of Jesus want to repay our Savior by helping the devil veil the clear glory of God? Is that why the Savior shed his blood and love upon you? There are only two genders, God said it, and that's the end of the story. There's no debate and no discussion. God has created man, male and female, two genders, and it was very good. This is the way we glorify God. Where are you this morning when it comes to gender? Have you aligned yourself with the Lord? Or have you gotten your lounge chair and gone over to the enemy's camp and gotten comfortable? Get from over there. What business is sheep doing in a lion's den? Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Come back to the shepherd and be with the sheep. The Lord is your shepherd. He will make you lie down in green pastures. But most importantly, importantly, he will be with you. His rod and his staff shall comfort you. He has prepared a table before you. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we will dwell in the Lord's house forever. Why are you over there? Can you smell something funny over there? Wolves and lions don't smell like sheep. That's why. Behold, Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. If you hear his voice, then open the door and he promises to have communion with you. He invites you to sit down with him on his throne. Agree and stand with God. We are called to glorify God. We glorify God by trusting our lives to him. We glorify God by meditating on creation and delighting in his creative works. We glorify God by praising him for his excellent mercies. We glorify God by agreeing and standing on his word. And lastly, number three, the third and last meaning of being made in the image of God is an excellent conformity of our mind will and affections to the will of God. For this next quote, we go to William Perkins, who was called the father of the Puritans. And he says in his volume four of his works, God made man according to his own image. For by creation, man had three things. First, the substance of a body and soul. 
Secondly, in them, the powers and faculties of mind, will, and affections. Thirdly, an excellent conformity of all these to the will of God. This is how Adam and Eve was created. They were created perfectly. Their tendency was to move toward God. But when they sinned, their tendency changed from moving toward God to hiding, moving away from God. We have inherited that nature from our parents, the original sin. That has been corrupted. We, have, we no longer have an excellent opportunity or we no longer have that conformity to God's will. That has been corrupted by sin, so now every intent of our heart is continually wicked always. This morning, I have been encouraging you to glorify God and enjoying him forever. We glorify God by trusting our lives to him. We glorify God by meditating on his creation and delighting in his creation. We glorify God by praising him for his excellent mercies. We glorify God by agreeing and standing on his word. But no human being can ever glorify God perfectly. We strive to glorify God. But were not the right man on our side, our striving would be losing. We need a man of God's own choosing. A man who is perfect in righteousness and holiness. We were created in the image of God, so we must be image bearers, but we can't do it perfectly. And God demands perfection. Leviticus 19 says, Be ye holy, for I am the Lord God am holy. Because of our sin nature, we cannot do this. We cannot be perfect image bearers. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. But the King James Version says the express image of his person. Colossians 1.15 states that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5.17. John Frame comments on this verse, as God made Adam in his image, so he recreates believers in the image of Christ, giving them new knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. These are not our inheritance from falling Adam, for these God must create us anew. Praise God for our inheritance in Christ. We can't be perfect. We can't be perfect image bearers, but Christ can and is. If we confide in our own strength, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. If asked who that might be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Adam was the first image bearer, but because he disobeyed God, his ability to be the perfect image bearer was marred by sin. Jesus, being the second Adam, our second representative, was obedient unto death and became the perfect image bearer for us. For by one man's obedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Romans 5. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, you can know him today. 
God made man, male and female, and he saw that it was very good. But the father looked down on his son and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm a well pleased. Listen to him. And what does Jesus say? What did Jesus say? What was his first message? Then Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The bad news is that we were all born sinners. There's nothing we can do to change our nature. So if this is the case, where is our hope? Our hope is in Christ. The good news is that the Father sent Jesus to be a sacrifice for our sins. The Father and Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to change our nature and apply that righteousness to our account. Now we are free from the penalty of sin and we're looking forward to being delivered from the presence of sin. If you are a believer, then strive not to greater works, but strive to enter into that rest that Jesus' finished work on the cross accomplished. Yes, glorify God in your bodies and enjoy all that he has created, but let our works be motivated by gratitude and not by fear of judgment, for perfect love cast out all fear. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. See the true and better Adam come to save the hell-bound man. Christ the great and sure fulfillment of the law. In him we stand. You want to glorify God and enjoy him forever? Stand on Christ. Standing on Christ the solid rock is what will bring peace with God and peace in your soul. Where are you standing today? Let's pray. O lover to the uttermost, may I read the meltings of your heart to me in the manger of your birth, in the garden of your agony, in the cross of your sufferings, in the tomb of your resurrection, in the heaven of your intercession. Deepen in me a sense of my holy relationship to you as spiritual bridegroom, as Yahweh's fellow, as sinner's friend. I think of your glory and my vileness, your majesty and my meanness, your beauty and my deformity, your purity and my filth, your righteousness and my iniquity. May I never daily with the world walk but walk by your side, listen to your voice, be clothed with your graces and adorned with your righteousness. I will sing of my Redeemer and your heavenly love to me. You from death to life has brought me, Son of God, forever with me to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.